What is God's love like? How indescribable is it? We minimize it in our hearts through our failure to meditate on it. We have a communion table in front of us uh, week after week, and even as we gather here. And the reason for that is we try to keep it fresh in our minds and then in our hearts. The wonder of his sacrifice and the greatness of his love, we, we want to keep it fresh, but it can become commonplace at times. We can take it for granted. We can fail to be struck with how incredible and absolutely foreign and otherworldly it is in the midst of our world. That his love is so different. And so again, uh, with this Good Friday service, we again have been looking at the story and we want to remember just how great is the love of God. And the passion story, the result of sin's impact in the world, is completely evident. There's indifference to death. We've seen jealousy, mocking, there's torture, cruelty, poverty, aloneness, grief, sorrow. In the midst of it, people grasping for power, blood and tears and wailing, darkness, hopelessness, even gloating. And on and on it goes. And these continue today as well. So what does love look like in that place? Each of the Gospels tell us that there were two others crucified with Jesus, one on either side. As the scriptures had said in Isaiah 53, he was numbered with the transgressors. We don't know their names. John just says there's two others. The other Gospels identify them as criminals, thieves, robbers, New American Standard Bible uses the word bandits. They are pictured the way their society viewed them. They were no one. Just two nameless faces marked by sin to be cast aside and killed. Thieves and robbers were generally not crucified. The actual word describing these men would be better rendered as revolutionaries or insurrectionists. It can mean evil men. And it often referred to those who would cause riots, but in the process of causing the riots, they would use the opportunity to murder and plunder. It's quite likely that these two men were partners of Barabbas, and they were guilty of insurrection and murder, just as Barabbas was. Now here was Jesus dying in place of their partner, literally dying for their friend. What were these two men experiencing as they waited for the crucifixion and enduring it. I imagine they endured judgment, felt isolation, perhaps regret, maybe not for their crime, but for the result. Perhaps a deep resentment for Barabbas, who may have led them to this, and now he was free. I'm sure they were thinking of the coming pain. They were at the point that is way past a second chance. They're both on the brink of eternity, hated, lives completely ruined by sin. There's nothing that commends them. Reminds me of the scriptures about us, that there is none righteous. All we like sheep have gone astray. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. The gospels say they were crucified with him. Their crucifixion was a death without meaning. Had no positive outcome or purpose. There's nothing in it but purposeful humiliation, torture, and death. 
Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and then there's judgment. So it's the end for these two. They are not coming off those crosses except as lifeless bodies. And how do they respond to this horrific moment in time? Well, the Matthew and Mark account says, Those who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Here they are hanging naked and bleeding, tortured during the edge of eternity, and they look at Jesus dying in the place of their friend, and they mock him. They throw insults at him. They belittle him. To avoid looking at our own sin, we sometimes do the same. But in the Luke passage, we see a second scene. Beginning with verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So we saw one of the men says, are you not the Christ? He's not making a statement of belief. It's actually mockery. It's a way to say all that you claimed is a joke because look at you now. But the second man doesn't do that. He stops mocking. He stops reviling. They had been up on the crosses for a long time. What had happened with this man? Perhaps they had been yelling at other people and mocking Jesus and eventually they were just worn out. The blood had been flowing out. They're having trouble breathing. Their mouths are dry from dehydration. Their voices are giving out. They're in the stages of shock. Maybe there was an hour that they just hung there in silence and in pain. And for this one man in that moment, suddenly the realization of his sin, of eternity, of his corrupted life begins to set in. And it's clear he knows something of Jesus The truth begins to wash over him. Do you remember when that happened to you? He looks over at Jesus in belief. Could there be any hope for him? Could there possibly be a love that great, that impossible, that amazing? The answer is yes. Jesus speaks this short, incredible, assuring promise. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Absolutely incredible. In one moment, this man goes from lost and corrupted, cast off, unknown, condemned by the world and God, to becoming beloved, belonging, redeemed, justified, found, and alive. This is the kind of love God has. That is the power of his work on the cross. Romans 5 says, God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are.
So as we prepare to gather around the table, the table of redemption, the table that symbolizes and pictures the love of God, first of all, give thanks. Give thanks. All of us were that criminal on the cross, every one of us. But if we have believed, we are redeemed and beloved and forgiven. So give thanks. And second of all, give praise. We're here to worship our God and our King, who in the midst of torture, carrying all the judgment of the world's sin, forsaken by the Father, dying, extends his love and attention and rescue to one single sinful man who looks to him. That is the kind of God who deserves our praise, our song, our lives, our worship. Let's pray. As we remember this dark night, we do give thanks. We do give our praise because of what it brought. Or give us a deeper glimpse of your indescribable love and fill our mouths with thanksgiving and praise for it. And it's in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.